Good afternoon and welcome to our open-air witness on Buchanan Street in Glasgow. We're here from a local congregation. We belong to Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing. And we meet at Two Thornwood Terrace. That's just up Dumbarton Road. And you will come to the police station. And opposite the police station, you will see a hill. If you go up the hill, you'll come to Thornwood Primary School first. And then you will come to our building there at Two Thornwood Terrace on the crossroads. We extend a warm welcome to you any Lord's Day, that's Sunday at 11 a.m. or again at 6 p.m. And we also have a, a Wednesday meeting in the evening at 7.30. And again, likewise, we would extend a warm welcome to you that you might come along and that you might hear something more concerning uh, the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we come out in the streets quite a bit. This is not a, a new thing for us. We tend to be on the street here on Buchanan Street one Friday, and then the following Friday we tend to go to Partick Station, where we witness in an in a area nearer our locality. But it is a privilege and a pleasure to be able to come out this afternoon and to be able to draw your attention to the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we do so, I would like to highlight one or two things that we find in the shorter catechism. Now that may be something you're not too familiar with, but it is a compendium of Christian doctrine, and it outlines the very basic things that we believe. You know, many people say that they believe the Bible, but when you question them and when you ask them about their beliefs, it's obvious that they don't really believe the Bible at all. Well, the Shorter Catechism is something that explains the things, some of the things that we find in the Bible. And therefore, it gives a summary, a brief summary, a brief outline of what we believe as Christians. And I want to use some of the things that you'll find in the Shorter Catechism that would help you to understand and to have a greater knowledge of what we actually believe as Christians. And I put it to you that the things that I'm going to highlight are things that every Christian should believe. We know there are differences among Christians, but there are certain things, certain basic fundamentals that every Christian does believe. And I'm going to highlight one or two of them to you this afternoon. First of all, we're going to ask ourselves, why are we here? I don't mean why are we on Buchanan Street today, but what is the purpose of our life? Why are we here? Has man got a purpose? Has he got a, a destiny? Well, the Catechism answers that question right at the very beginning. It asks, what is the chief end of man? 
In other words, what's the purpose of man? What's the purpose of life? Why are we here? Well, it goes on to give the answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. In other words, that is what the Bible teaches why we are here. There is a purpose in it. We are here to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now this does speak to our current society that we live in. You will agree as you hear the media and read the media as, as I do, you will know that there is a great amount of despondency and despair and unhappiness and depression in this world today. And you may well wonder why this is the case. Even with young people who have all their lives before them, there seems to be a high percentage of those who are unhappy and even mentally depressed. Now, this is a, a complex subject, but, and I'm speaking here as a generalization, a sweeping generalization, I admit, but nevertheless, it is true. How can you possibly expect men and women and boys and girls to be happy if they do not recognize their purpose in life? Or let's put it another way. How can we possibly be happy if we abandon or neglect or ignore our Creator? Our Creator who made us and formed us and who made us in order that we might find fulfillment in enjoying Him. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now, if that's what the Bible teaches, and it does, then how can we possibly expect to be happy when we ignore our Creator? This is fundamental, and this does speak to our society today, a society that has so much material possessions, who has comforts beyond what our former generations knew, who truly have much of this world's goods, but they are essentially unhappy and unfulfilled. And I put it to you right at the very beginning that this is one reason, and it's only one reason. And that reason is that men and women and boys and girls have lost the purpose of their existence. Their existence is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And the Catechism goes on then to ask, how can, we, how can we know, or how are we to know how we are to enjoy and glorify God? What rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? God has given us instructions. God has given us His instructions in His Word. The Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures, of the Old and New Testaments is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. There, if our chief purpose is to glorify God, then God has given us instructions 
whereby we might be enabled to worship and to glorify Him. We find it in the Word of God. And this is what every Christian acknowledges, that the Bible, the Holy Bible, and only the Holy Bible, is the Word of God. The Lord Jesus said, Thy Word is truth. Sanctify them by the truth. And what we have, when we have our Bibles, we have God's revelation to every single one of us. God has spoken, and He has spoken in His Word, and His Word has been recorded for us. And if we are going to have lives that please Him in this world today, we are to live according to the infallible Word of God. He has not left it. He has not left it in order for us to try to find this out for ourselves. Not at the moment, thank you. I'm busy. There's other people here you can speak to. But, but we, are, we are given the Word of God in order to direct us. And what does the Word of God teach us? Well, the Word of God teaches us what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. There we will find what we're to believe and how we are to act. We'll find it all in God's Word. It's not a secret. It's there for us in His Word. The Catechism then goes on to ask or tell us, what is God? And this is vitally important for us to realize, what is God? Well, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. God is the only supreme being in the whole of this universe. He is Almighty God. And what's more, the Bible tells us that there is only one God. Only one God. Are there more gods than one? There is but one God. Only the living and the true God. And therefore, friends, this would tell us since there's only one God, that other religions that don't recognize and don't worship and don't acknowledge the one true and the living God are false religions. And this is something that Christianity maintains, that it alone is divine, that it alone has come from the living God. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ said. He is the only begotten Son of God. He is the one who has come from heaven. And He is the only God-appointed Savior. And if we are to be saved, it's only through Him. He's the only one who can take us, who can take us to heaven. He's the one who has come from heaven. And any other religion, any other philosophy... Any other teaching that we may well be embracing is not true. And it will not bring us to glory. It will not bring us to heaven ultimately. We need to be following the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only begotten Son of the living God. And the Bible also teaches us, and this is what every Christian agrees on, that God is the Creator. There was a time 
when there was no space, when there was no matter, when there was no universe. But God spoke, and he brought all things that we see around us into being. He spoke. The Catechism tells us, by asking the question, what is the work of creation? The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. Every Christian recognizes that since there is a creation, as we're all living in it, therefore there must be a creator. There must be someone behind this creation. All that we can see, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, the animals, the plants, the insects, the humans, all life indeed has come from God. He is the great creator. He spoke and he brought all things into being. And every single Christian will acknowledge that God is the creator. And therefore, we do not recognize evolution. Basically, evolution teaches us that everything came from nothing. A most unscientific premise completely. How can anything come from nothing? It's a simple scientific fact that nothing can come from nothing. Yet evolution will try to tell us that everything has come from nothing. Instead, biblical creationism is completely and utterly different. And it's absolutely reasonable. It tells us that a supernatural God some thousands of years ago, probably around 6,000 years ago, spoke and brought the creation, the heavens, the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, the whole of the universe into being. And that's why the Bible says, Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. And therefore, if we are to fulfill our function in this world, we are to know the living God, and we are to be obedient unto Him, and we are to obey the gospel. And what is that gospel, friends? The gospel is quite clear, and this is what all Christians agree on, that mankind, although created perfectly in the image of God, in knowledge and righteousness and holiness, yet he fell. Man became a sinner. And because we've all come from Adam and Eve, our original first parents who sinned, therefore we have a sinful nature. And therefore we are sinners by nature and sinners by practice. And therefore God has a controversy with us because he is a holy God, an absolutely pure and holy God who cannot in any sense tolerate sin. But the gospel, friends, is that Jesus Christ has come to this world. He has come. He has taken upon himself 
our form and our nature. He has become just like us. He's lived a perfect life. He's offered up a perfect sacrifice to satisfy the just demands of God's most holy and inflexible law. And if we will but believe upon Him, we shall have the forgiveness of sins. We will have the gift of eternal life. We shall be reconciled to God. We shall be justified by faith. We shall be accepted in the Beloved. And we can be assured of our place with Him in eternity. I know that that sounds remarkable. That sounds far too good to be true. But it's true, friends. It's true. Taste and see that the Lord is good, the Bible says. And that's what we're to do. We're to recognize that we are sinners by nature and sinners by practice. And we deserve God's wrath and curse. As our catechism will tell us, we deserve all the miseries of this life, death itself and the pains of hell because of our sin. But God has done something in His Son, in the Lord Jesus Christ. That one who came and took upon himself our nature and became like us, lived a perfect life that none of us could possibly do. Can you believe that, friends? Can you understand that? Can you grasp that? That one would come to this world and become like us and live perfectly? He never had a wrong thought. What about your thoughts even now? Are they holy? Are they just? Are they true? Are they pure? More than likely they're not. They don't meet God's perfect standard. What about your words? What about the words you've uttered? How many blasphemies have you said today? How many times have you taken the Lord's name in vain today? How many lies have you told today? How many harsh words have you spoken today? And what about your actions? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, He lived a perfect life. He never had a wrong thought. He never said a wrong word. And He never performed a bad deed. He never sinned at all. He lived a perfect life. And because He lived a perfect life, He was able then to offer up a perfect sacrifice. Something that you and I could never do. He could make atonement. He could satisfy God's most holy and inflexible law. Friends, will you therefore have the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? This is why we seek to come out this afternoon. We want to introduce this person to you because he is the very sum and the very substance of Christianity. There is no Christianity without Christ. There is no way to be reconciled to God but by the Lord Jesus. What does the Bible teach us? Oh, God is not dead, my dear. God is alive. God cannot die. It's impossible. In Him is life. And the Lord Jesus Christ did suffer and die, but He rose again. And do you know, friends, He cannot die. We recommend to you, therefore, a Savior who's alive forevermore, who cannot die, 
Is that not the Savior you need? Every one of us by ordinary generation shall go the way of all the earth. Friends, we'll soon be gathered to our fathers. Here we are at the end of another year almost. And how quickly time passes. Well, we don't know one day from the next. That is true. James tells us in his epistle that our lives are but like a vapor. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. And soon the place thereof shall know us no more. And that's why you're to put your faith and hope and trust upon one who lives forevermore. The Lord Jesus Christ, he suffered and died. He went into the tomb, the tomb and the tomb was sealed. But on the first day of the week, he arose. Death could no longer hold him. It could no longer shackle him. He, he had done what he was required to do. He laid down his life. He died in place of the in room of sinners. But now his work was complete. And now, friends, he has entered into his estate of glorification. He is risen. He's alive. And therefore, as Paul says in the book of Hebrews, he is able to save to the uttermost those that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for him. What a glorious Savior we recommend to you this afternoon. One who did die, yes. One who suffered for sinners. One whose God had punished in our room and in our place. But one who is now alive. And alive forevermore. And a, and a one who is still saving sinners. And that's why we come out this afternoon that you might come to Him, that you might embrace Him, that you might call upon Him, that you might receive Him as your Lord and as your Savior. Because, friends, it's all very well speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, and indeed it is a privilege and a pleasure to be able to stand in the open air and to say something of my Savior. But it will do you no good unless you embrace him. That's why he says to us in the word of God, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful thing there for us. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And therefore, before you can benefit from him, you must come to him. What does it mean to come to the Lord Jesus? It means to recognize first and foremost that you're a sinner, and you need to be saved. No, I'm not an idiot, sir. One day you'll know that. You'll know that I'm not an idiot. I may be many things, but I'm not an idiot. Why am I not an idiot? Because I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what am I told in the Scriptures? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
and they shall not be ashamed. They'll not be ashamed on that great day of judgment. Yes, friends, the Christian believes in a terrible day that's going to come upon all mankind. That day when we'll all stand before King Jesus and we'll all give account of what we've done in the body. This is what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I urge you to read this in your own Bibles. Don't take my word for it. But you'll find this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You know, we live in a time when we all have our computers and we all have our smartphones and we all have our diaries or our schedules. We carry them about with them, with us. And we make appointments and we can change appointments. We can do all of these things. But here's one appointment that you cannot change. For we must all appear. We must it's not because we want to, but we will be called. We will be summoned. We will be summoned by the voice of none other than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He will call us forward on that great day when He's on His great white throne, when He sits there on judgment upon the whole of mankind. And you will come forward and you will have an audience with Him. And the Bible talks about books being opened that day. And we're inclined to believe that's a reference to our consciences and to our minds and to our memories. Uh, the whole of our life shall unfold before us and we'll give account. What a thought that is, friends, to have to give account before a righteous God. Oh no, this is not lies. This is not pie in the sky. And what's more, you know it's not. Your conscience is telling you the truth. Your, your conscience, it may be sleeping, it may be somewhat seared, it may be somewhat dead, but it's beginning to come alive when you hear about these things. And when you hear about the day of judgment, your conscience is telling you, this man is telling you the truth. There is going to be a day of judgment. There is going to be a day when you'll stand before King Jesus and you will give an account of your life, what you've thought, what you've said, and your actions, and primarily what you've done with Jesus Christ. Because your eternal destiny depends on what you have done with Him. What think ye of Christ, the Bible says. Well, friends, the Bible tells us that He is the God-appointed Savior. He's the one who has come to save sinners. He has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That's His role. That's His purpose. That's His mission. When Joseph, his legal father, was told about Mary being pregnant, the angel said to Joseph, 
thou shalt call his name Jesus, because he shall save his people from their sins. And there, right at the very beginning, his name was to be Jesus. And that's what it means. It means Savior. He could have come as a judge. He could have come as a conqueror. He could have come to destroy us. But instead he came to save. And that's why we come out that we might recommend the Savior to you. At this time of the year when everyone is toing and froing, so much busyness, so much time going into trivialities, you need to consider eternal realities. You need to consider the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who has come in order to seek and to save that which was lost. And we must recognize, therefore, that as far as God is concerned, we are lost and we need to be saved. Why don't you help some homeless people sleep in the streets? Why don't you do it, sir? Huh? Why don't you do it, sir? That's good. How do you know I don't do it? How do you know? You're judging there, my friend. You're judging. You don't know what I do. You don't know what I do. But I have not come here in order to feed the poor. I've come here in order to preach the gospel to those who are lost and perishing. That's why I've come here. And this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And this is what is our greatest need in this, in this day and age. It is to be saved. Amen. Amen, I would say too. We need to be saved. What do we need to be saved from? We need to be saved from our sins, from its guilt, and from its consequences. Now, we might not think sin is an important matter, but it most certainly is. It is extremely important. It took the Son of God to leave the realms of glory in order that he might deal with our greatest need and our greatest problem. That in itself tells us that this is truly a great problem. No, no, sir, that's not on your... No. I don't bless. No, no. No, no. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand does. Don't boast about your charity, the Bible would teach us. What include Catholics? What you're preaching. Are you human? Last time I looked at Yeah, it includes you, sir. It includes me. We need to be saved. How can we be saved? We need the Lord Jesus Christ to save us. No, no church can save you. Virgin Mary? Of course I believe in the Virgin Mary, but I don't believe she'll save me. She's not my saviour. Jesus is my saviour. Do you believe Jesus was a Palestinian? I believe he was a Jew. Of course he was. Of course, salvation is off the Jews. God was working through the Jews to save mankind. Of course Jesus was a Jew. My saviour. believe in homosexuality? Well, when you, when you say, do I believe in it? Of course I believe in it. Do I believe it's right? Is that what you're asking yeah. me? No, it's a sin. Of course Why? it's... Why? Why? It's unnatural. We've moved on. Moved on. Oh, yes. So you've got a new Bible now, have you? 
No. No, well... The Bible is... I, I'm a Roman Catholic and I... Well, I'm a Bible, Christian. Right. Yeah. I, and I tell you what, the Bible is outdated. No, no. The Bible... I'm talking about... It's not a new thing. The Bible... The Bible's bang up to date. Bang up to date. It, it, bang, it bang up to date. What? God doesn't change. What? Right, so do you not think dinosaurs existed then? Of course dinosaurs existed. So what? So, what, so what about Adam and Eve then? Is that a lot of garbage? Of course not. They're real. They're their first parents, Adam what? and Eve. They are our first parents. We've all come from Adam and Eve. Don't you know that? So what came before that? Well, nothing. God so alone. There were no dinosaurs. There were no... Oh, listen, listen. Dinosaurs were created on the sixth day. With, with, along with Adam and Eve. You're having a laugh? No, no, this is perfectly true. So dinosaurs are only... Dinosaurs and human beings existed together? Simultaneously, yes. Great, the pennies dropped. The pennies dropped. Oh, my dropped. God, man. Jesus Christ, this guy is nuts. No, no, it's you wrong, sir. So you're saying that human beings and dinosaurs existed together? Wonderful. The penny's dropped. Oh. No. Oh, no. God created everything. I can't get it. You need to read your Bible. Read Genesis. God created everything. The sun, the moon, the stars. And he, then he created the land animals. Then he created man, who is the image of God, the very pinnacle of creation. Did he create dinosaurs first? Yes. First? Yes. But why, why did they create him first? Because, listen, death only came into this world after Adam and Eve sinned. So? There was no death. There was no Adam and Eve before dinosaurs. They, he, he thought, right, I'll do dinosaurs first and then I'll do man. Well, that, that's, that's the way it happened, yes. Friends, friends, you'll find all these answers in the Word of God. We don't believe in evolution. We don't believe in millions of years. The earth is not millions of years old. That's nonsense. Death only came into existence after Adam and Eve sinned. And therefore, there must have been dinosaurs around when Adam and Eve were created. Yeah, that's a fact. And we, we cannot believe in evolution that tells us that everything has come from nothing. That's completely and utterly unscientific nonsense. We believe in creation. The God, the work of creation is God's creating all things by the word of his power in the space of six days, and all very good. We're here from Partick, Free Church of Scotland, continuing. Welcome to our open-air witness on Buchanan Street. We're going to take a short break, but we'll resume shortly. May the Lord bless his word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon, folks. We're here from Partick, Free Church of Scotland, continuing. And welcome to our open-air witness on Buchanan Street in Glasgow. 
It's good to be here. We are delighted to have the health and the strength to be able to come out and to draw to your attention something concerning uh, the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? We want to bring that gospel to you this afternoon because we know that we do live in a time when there is widespread ignorance and much confusion even within the Christian church about what is the gospel. Well, the Apostle Paul gives us a good, brief, concise summary of the gospel in a letter that he wrote to Timothy, who was a young pastor. And part of that letter he wrote, he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. And this is a faithful saying. This is something that we are to receive. This is God's Word. This is God's message to us uh, this afternoon. It's a faithful saying. It's a saying that you can trust. Very often the things that we hear today we cannot trust. We cannot trust the media. We cannot trust social media. We have to trust God and His Word this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. This is something that we are to accept because God himself has given us this revelation that Christ Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, he has come into this world. He's come into this world because this world is lost. This world is perishing. And that includes every single one of us by nature. We may have good lives, we may live good lives, upright lives, moral lives. We may have everything that this world can give us, but in God's estimation, we are lost. Why are we lost? Well, we're lost because of sin, because we don't have that relationship with our Creator God that we should have. And this has all been brought about because we are sinners by nature, and because we're sinners by nature, no, sir... I'm happy to say the things that I want to say. Uh, well, I never stopped you, but I'm, you told me to stop, and I'm not going to stop. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief, the Bible says. And friends, we want to come out and tell you about this glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ how he came from heaven. Imagine someone leaving the realms and the glory of heaven, the peace and the blessedness and the felicity of heaven to come to the sin-cursed world. What a truly remarkable thing that he did. And he did it in order to save men, women, boys and girls. And that's why we seek to come out to tell you this good news. And we know that we'll find opposition. But nevertheless, the Word of God will go forth. The Word of God will go forth because, friends, you need to hear this message. This message is vitally important. It's telling us about the Son of God. 
on his great mission in order that he might come down to this world and seek to save that which was lost. Do we realize that we're lost by nature? What does it mean to be lost? We're lost because we're sinners. And therefore that relationship that we should have with God is not what it should be. It's been broken. But God in his wonderful infinite mercy has done something about it. What has he done? He has sent forth his only begotten son to do something that we could never do. What was that? Well, Jesus Christ came and he became like us. What did he do? He took upon himself our form and our nature and he lived a perfect life. An absolutely perfect life. It was impossible for the Lord Jesus to sin. And he lived a perfect life. He never sinned in word or thought or deed. And when the time came for God to fulfill his great plan of redemption, what happened? Well, the Jewish religious leaders, they rejected the Lord Jesus. Just like many people today, they reject the Lord Jesus Christ. They reject Him. They close their ears to Him. They don't want to hear about this one who came to save. But it was all part of God's master plan. Yes, all part of God's master plan. Because there, the Lord Jesus, after he was rejected by the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious people of this world, what happened to him? He was crucified on Calvary's tree. Why was he crucified? Was he a criminal? Was he a murderer? Was he a liar? Was he a rapist? Was he a blasphemer? No, no, no. He lived a perfect life, but mankind showing the full depravity of the human nature, they would rather have a criminal released than Jesus Christ. And friends, here we are ourselves. We are, in some sense, in exactly the same position. If we reject the Lord Jesus Christ, we are just being like the Jews who said, crucify him, crucify him. We will not have this man to reign over us. And they would rather have a murderer, Barabbas, released in place of Christ. Does this not tell us something about the shocking state of human nature? You know, some people say that if they, if they would see a perfect life, then they might believe. Well, mankind saw a perfect life. Mankind heard perfect teaching. Mankind heard and saw the Son of God performing miracles. But, but human nature, fallen human nature, would rather accept a murderer than the Son of God. Where do you stand this afternoon? Because Christianity, friends, real Christianity, will confront you. 
It will pose questions. It will ask questions of you. It will ask, where are you? What is your reaction to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you just like the Jews who said, crucify him, crucify him? Or will you receive him? Will you be like Thomas and say, once they knew, once he knew that he was alive after his crucifixion, Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And every one of us, friends, has to make a choice. You have to hear about this person. That is one reason why we come out. You must hear about this person. You must hear about him in order to put your faith in... Yes? Will you show me your license? No. Well, how, how, can I, how do I know you have permission there? Because you I... Ask the police. That's fine. That's fine, sir. You've got a license uh, license. Yes. You've got a license yes, to film? Yes, I've got a license to film. Yes. You, no, you haven't. I've, got, I've just said to myself, I'm going to film. Aye. That's all I need. Well, you, need that, you need a license, mate, to do No, that. you do yes, not. You do. No, Thank you do yes, not. Yes, Thank you. Can Thank I, you. Can I mention something? We've been doing this for a long time. I would. Filming people without asking them. Yes. And what do you do with the film? You've got me on there. You don't have permission. You don't have my permission. But you can walk you away, sir. So here, you have to have the consent. You no, 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 no. Yes. No, no. Yes. No. no, I'm not wrong. Look at up, mate. I'm telling you. No. You're not allowed to film people in the willy-nilly. You can't do that. I've just done it. Why? Well, it's against the law. Good. You're breaking the law. Good. 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 All right. Good. So morally, so, you're wrong. Illegally, you're wrong well, as well. We're just. Nice. Thanks you're very much. You're not allowed to film, mate. Well, you're not allowed to film people. You need consent. I'm, right? ju- I'm just doing it. If you're doing doing the it. producer in one of your crappy films at church, you need consent. My consent, you need me to sign it. If I'm on there, you're in trouble. And everybody else here. Good. That's why Good. I stand in front Wonderful. of you. Wonderful. I'm on there. And it's not, it's not allowed. Someone here is a wee bit excited. No, a wee bit excited. Film here. That's a wee bit excited. He's breaking the law. Because he's breaking the law, that's fine. Why don't you get the police? I did. Good, that's, that's fine. fine. That's fine. Good. That's fine. I'm just asking you. What was that? No, sorry. That was assault. No, it was I was. No, no, you just pulled me away, actually. No, you didn't. You pulled me away, pal. I didn't touch you. This guy just assaulted me. This guy here with the beard. On your way, man. I'm quite happy where I am, sir. Thank you. It's, It's good to know that the gospel is having a positive effect. It's good to know that when you preach Christ, it divides the people. That's what happens, friends. And one day the whole of humanity will be divided. It will be those in Christ and those out of Christ. And we are here this afternoon in order that we might draw to your attention eternal realities. We're not after your money. We want to tell you the truth as it is in Jesus. We want to use this opportunity to come out because we know that you must hear this and we know that By and large, most people don't go to a a place of worship today. Therefore, it is incumbent upon the church to come out and to proclaim Christ in all his fullness. And friends, we want to proclaim him to you as a Savior. He is a glorious and a wonderful Savior. He's the one who has come from heaven, left his glory behind, His glory was veiled. He came to this world, and if he was walking among us here, there would be nothing unusual about him, but he is God in the flesh. 
and he lived a perfect life. And he did this in order that he would be able to offer up a perfect sacrifice on Calvary. And this was necessary in order to satisfy the just demands of God's most holy and inflexible law. And there would be no hope for us unless Christ had done this. He had to live a perfect life that none of us could do. He did it. He performed it. And now, friends, what's required of you and me? It is to put our faith and our hope and our trust upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. And that's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way to be saved is to have Him as your Lord and Savior. No other person can save you. The Virgin Mary cannot save you. The Pope cannot save you. Muhammad cannot save you. Confucius or Buddhist, whatever, Buddha, he cannot save. Only the Lord Jesus Christ, he himself did say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. For salvation is found in none other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And this is our greatest need today, friends. Here we are in the festive season. Uh, another year is drawing to a close. We have many problems in our society, but this is the number one problem. What is it? It is our sin. It is our, the guilt and the consequences of our sins. But Jesus Christ has dealt with it. How can we benefit from it? The only way we can benefit from it is to have Him as Lord and Savior, to receive Him as He is freely offered to us in the Gospel. And that's why we come out, even for this few moments, as you pass by, that you might hear something, that you might hear that your soul might live. And this is a very sobering thought for us, friends. Here we are, body and soul, one day we'll pass into eternity. Where will we go? Where will your soul go? Your soul shall live forever, the Bible tells us. Where will we go then? The body, it will return to the dust. Whether it is cremated or whether it smolders in the grave, it shall return to the dust. But what about our souls? Where will they go? Well, the Bible teaches us that the moment that we die, our souls shall pass into eternity, and they shall go to God in order that they might be judged. And what, how will we fare on that day when we pass from the scene of time? Our body will go down, but our soul will rise to God again who gave it in the first place. He tells us we will go to one of two places. We will go to that place. It's called heaven in the Bible. 
who will go to heaven? It's only those who are found in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not those who are perfect, because none are perfect. There are none righteous, no, not one. We're only righteous because we believe upon the Lord Jesus. He's the only perfect one. And therefore, those who believe upon him, he will take to glory to be with himself. But what about those who do not have Christ? What about those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ? Where will they be? They will be in that place that's called hell. A terrible place that has been prepared for the devil and for his angels. It's a place, friend, that no right-minded individual would want to go to. But it will be there. And many people will be there, those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, friends, you are to call upon him. As I began the, the open-air witness some time ago, I said that there are certain things that some every Christian must believe in. Well, we believe that Jesus is the only Savior, and we believe that there's a place called heaven to be with Christ, which is far better, the Bible talks of. There is a place called heaven, but there's also a place called hell. There's not a place called purgatory. There's not a place where you go to get prepared. No, friends, today, here, in this world, is where we are prepared for eternity. And therefore, if we want to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, if we want to have our sins forgiven, we must call upon Him and upon Him alone. Otherwise, we will find ourselves in that place called hell. And no one wants to go there. No one wants to go there. And you may well wonder. But you know that the Lord Jesus spoke more of hell than he did of heaven. Why, did, why is this so? Because he doesn't want us to go there. He's warning us. It's the well-meant warning. You warn your children to keep away from danger. You warn your children to watch the traffic, to keep away from fire, to keep away from water, to keep away from all kinds of danger. You warn your children. Why do you warn them? Well, you warn them because you don't want them. No, no, sir, it's not a lot. It is the truth. And what's more, you know it. Your conscience is telling you it is the truth. I don't have to convince you. You are actually acting against your conscience. But you warn your children because you don't want them to suffer. Well, the Lord Jesus is exactly the same. He warns us about hell that we might avoid it. And the only way we can avoid it is to have him as Lord and Savior. That's why he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. So therefore, friends, come. Come and follow the Lord Jesus. Come and call upon him. Trust upon him as he is freely offered to you in the gospel 
this afternoon. We're going to take a short break. Good afternoon. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing a local congregation. And we are a Scottish registered charity. We meet at Two Thornwood Terrace, just up Dumbarton Road, opposite the police station. Go up the hill there, and you will come first of all to Thornwood Primary School. And we are next door at Two Thornwood Terrace, just at the crossroads. And uh, we give you all a warm welcome to come along on the Lord's Day, Sunday at 11 or in the early evening at 6 p.m. And you will be made most welcome. We also have a, a midweek meeting on Wednesday at 7.30. And again, you would be made welcome as you come along to that meeting also. And we come out this afternoon for a short time, glad that it's dry, in order that we might present the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ to you. And we put it to you that he is the very sum and the very essence of Christianity. There is no Christianity without Christ. And sadly, in the Christian church today, you hear very little about Christ and his gospel. Now, we're not perfect by any manner of means, but we do want to come out and to speak of him and what he has done and how you must trust upon him in order that you would be saved. And this is the great issue that faces us all. We need to be saved. Jesus came. Jesus came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to give his life a ransom for all. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life a ransom to be testified in due time. And we bless God that he saw our real problem. What is our real problem? Our real problem is, friends, that we're sinners. What does that mean? It means that we have broken God's law. God has given us a law. He's our creator and he has the right to give us a law and he has. And we have broken that law and therefore we are sinners. What is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. There are two ways in which we can break the law of God. The first is by not doing what God commands. And the second consists 
in doing what God forbids. And that talks about the sins of omission and commission. And God has given us a law. And that law is summed up in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, and so on. And as we look at these commandments, we have to rightly conclude that we have broken every single one of them. That's what James tells us. That's what the Bible teaches us. And in fact, James says, if we've broken one commandment, we have, in effect, broken them all. We have therefore broken God's law. We are sinners in His sight. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You'll find that in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And further on in the same book, in Romans chapter 6, verse 26, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, when God created man, he entered into a covenant of life with him upon condition of perfect obedience, forbidding him to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil upon the pain of death. And God entered into a covenant with Adam, told him that he was not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if he did eat it, he would die. And that's what happened. Our first parents, being left to the freedom of their own will, fell from the estate wherein they were created by sinning against God. And because they are our first parents, we have inherited their sinful nature. When Adam sinned, we sinned. And therefore, we are sinners by nature and sinners by practice. The covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but for his posterity, all mankind descending from him by ordinary generation sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. All mankind by their fall lost communion with God are under his wrath and curse and so made liable to all the miseries in this life to death itself and to the pains of hell forever. It's a very, very serious matter, sin. And that's why we have so many problems in this world. That's why we have the animals who eat each other. That's why we have death. That's why we have all these sins. That's why we have vulgar language. That's why we have drunkenness, fornication, adultery, lying, cheating, homosexuality, bestelia, 
All of these things have come about because of sin. There would be no sickness without sin. There would be no bad weather without sin. There would be no weeds without sin. All of these things have come upon this world because of sin. And that is our greatest problem. And it's a problem we cannot deal with. We don't want to deal with it. We don't have the desire or the inclination to deal with it. But God has done something about it. He has sent forth His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to suffer and die in the room and in the place of sinners. And this is the good news of the Christian gospel. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. You need to do more than cross yourself, sir. You need to have Christ as your Lord and Savior. No crosses will save you. Only Christ can save. He is the only one. He is the God-appointed mediator. He's the one who offered up himself as that once for all perfect sacrifice. And in order to be saved, we must trust upon him. We must call upon him. He must be our Lord and he must be our Savior. Christ, the Son of God, became man by taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul and be, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost and the womb of the Virgin Mary and was born of her. Friends, this is the great hope for mankind. It's only found in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. But it's all very well speaking about Him. We need to have Him in our lives. He needs to be our Lord and Savior. We must surrender our lives to Him. We must call upon Him that He might save us. Because if He will not save us, we cannot be saved. There's no other Savior. There's no other way. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation there is no other way God is not going to provide another saviour or another way to be saved the only way is through him and him alone and if we're not saved we'll be lost we'll be perished forever forever for all eternity what a thought friends what a thought here when there's a saviour who will save to the uttermost if he doesn't save us we shall be lost to the uttermost. What a terrible plight to be in then. Is it any wonder we come out and tell you about this message and tell you about the Savior? Would you not think it would be strange if we would keep this to ourselves? Is it not incumbent upon us that we would come out and make this known to everyone because it's something that we all need to hear? Whether we be rich or poor, doesn't matter the color of our skin, doesn't matter the language we speak, doesn't matter about our education or our upbringing or our financial resources or lack of them. We're all human beings. We're all made in the image of God. We're all accountable unto Him. 
and we're all sinners in his sight. There is none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says. None of us are righteous by ourselves. What does it mean to be righteous? To be righteous means that we can stand before God uncondemned. Now, none of us can stand before God uncondemned in our state of nature. We need another righteousness. What is that righteousness? That righteousness is only found in Jesus Christ. And you know, friends, the glory of the gospel is that when you believe upon the Lord Jesus, His righteousness is given unto you. He takes your sin. He takes your sin and deals with it. And He gives the believer His righteousness. And this is what you'll want one day. You know what day is coming? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may give account of the things done in his body, whether they be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in the body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Oh, friends, that you would listen, that you would hear. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, when the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Friends, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when, however poorly, Christ is being proclaimed to you. The claims of Christ have been pressed upon you today. And therefore, you are to respond today. Today is the day of salvation. We do not know how long we have. Is it not true that life is very short and very brief? That's why we're told to remember our Creator in the days of our youth. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. How many people today even this afternoon, here, as they pass by, are getting organized for a party tonight or maybe something tomorrow or over the weekend. What does the Bible say? Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You could be in eternity tonight. You could be in eternity by tomorrow. You might never see Christmas Day. You might never see a new year. That's how serious it is, friends. That's why you need to make your peace with God now. You need to call upon Him now. Today is the day of salvation. And you must know before we close, you must know that the Lord will receive you. 
Yes, he's willing to receive. Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? That's what God says in his words. He will receive you. You need to repent. You need to forsake your sin. You need to turn. Turn to the Lord Jesus. Believe upon him. Turn away from your old life. Turn away from your sins. Turn away from your blasphemy. Turn away from your fornication. Turn away from your adultery. Turn away from your lying. Turn away from your cheating and stealing and blasphemy and lies and covetousness and murder. Turn away from these things and embrace Christ as he is freely offered in the gospel and he will receive you. He says to us today, here and now, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else. And he's pointing to the Lord Jesus. He alone is God. He's God in the flesh and he's come down in order to save us. That's what he's come to do. Now remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth while the evil days come not nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say I have no pleasure in them. Oh, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. In some sense, he's near to not right now. Why is he near? Because his gospel has been proclaimed to you. Even as you pass by for a moment, Christ in all his fullness, in all his purity, in all his beauty, in all his willingness to save, is being proclaimed to you. Reach out, therefore. Call upon him. He will have mercy. You know, if you go to the Bible, you will find that Jesus did not turn away anyone that came to him. He didn't turn away anyone. And that's a promise. He will not turn you away. He will receive you. Leave your sins cast away your self-righteousness, call upon him, and he will save. And he will save to the absolute uttermost. It's been a pleasure to be with you this afternoon. We're going to draw our time to a close. We're from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. We give you a warm welcome to come to our services, 11 a.m. or 6 p.m. on Sunday, the Lord's Day at 2 Thornwood Terrace, or we meet on a Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m. And again, we extend a warm welcome to you. May the Lord bless his word to you, and may you know a blessed festive season where Christ is at the center of that season.